matchup. 40, pushes the man, 35, looking at him go. 30, 25, he's at the 20, gets the block. He's gone. Head, pass, touchdown. Welcome to another episode of Any Given Monday. I'm your host, Hayden Adoni, and joining me as always, Duncan Song. Welcome, Dunk. Thanks, Nads. Look, ripper of a show we've got in store today. It's the last episode before the 2017 NFL Draft, and I am super excited. We've been building up to this for a while. I've watched so much tape. I'm just eager to get there, man. We're so close, but yet still so far away. It just can't come fast enough. Oh, mate, I'm really pumped for it. I'm even more pumped that I've got the whole weekend off and Friday as well. So no work for me. You're going to be able to watch the draft. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, it is for sure. All right, let's dive straight into it. We've got a lot to get through today. So let's get into the social media to start with. What are you going to start with for your love this week, mate? All right, so we've got a bit of a theme going through the love and the hate for this week. So in terms of the love, I just want to bring a shout out to all of you NFL fans out there. So the passion and lengths to which um, you guys will support a situation to mirror your beliefs, it goes, um, yeah, you go really in depth with it. And I just want to bring up one one example in particular that it's hit home a little bit for me. Um, so in Oakland, we've got Fred Walker Jr. So you can follow him on Twitter. I'm, I think it's at Fred W 24. Don't quote me on that. Um, if you check out who I follow, he's on there. And, um, for many years, Fred has been hell bent on supporting a new stadium in Oakland for the Raiders. And considering he lives in Oakland, it's perfectly understandable. I mean, many other people are like him and it got, however, he supported it so staunchly almost to the point where he would ingest um, threatened violence towards people who disagreed with his views. And I'm not saying Fred is a violent man at all because um, he's not, I've known the guy for over 10 years. He's more like a cuddly bear than anything. And when the Raiders received relocation approval to Vegas, Fred was a guy who decided to make his own opinion up on the situation rather than um, listening to any, any super fan, any sound bite, any um, anyone of that nature, and decided to look into the information himself and make his own mind up and good on him. So he read a number of articles, listened to many people, including our Raiders Relocation Roundtable podcast special with Scott Winner and Joe Rigo. Good man. And yeah, very good man. Very happy that Fred did that. And um, he really enjoyed our show. And he really deduced that Libby Schaaf, who is the mayor of Oakland, um, he deceived that she um, deceived the Oakland and Bay Area residents. And pretty much he has since completely changed his tune from um, being so staunchly towards a stadium in Oakland. And he's accepted the team moving. And additionally, th- this is where my love comes into it. It's that Fred went out of his way to apologize to many people who he may have lashed out at and people who he burned bridges with, and this is including myself. So at the time, I didn't appreciate what Fred said to me. I'm not going to go into what he said. Um, it's more or less irrelevant. But I know his apology was in was indeed sincere because he really didn't have to do it. And I, at the time, I blocked him on Twitter, made sure he couldn't get in contact with me, um, and he had to go through a mutual friend of ours to get the message across. And then um, he was able to contact me in another way to um, have a chat. And since then, he's been able to listen to our podcast. He's gone through it. Um, he, he's um, mended the bridges, uh, healed the wounds. And for someone to go out there and look, to own up to their mistake, say, look, I'm sorry, and to be open to facts over opinions – um, that's really what I love most. Well, I think you've you've kind of hit that hit the nail on the head there. I mean, for me, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and you form that opinion based on all sorts of different factors. But when you get presented with you know solid evidence that your opinion might not be accurate, the ability to be able to say, okay, I was wrong for whatever reason, I was relying on the wrong information. I just had a gut feeling that might not have been right. But to be able to sort of go, yeah, okay, I was wrong. You were, you know, you were right. This information has now come to my attention. I understand where you're coming from. I, I think it takes a lot of, a lot of character to be able to do that. So it's something I respect as well. But you've got something going the other way as well for your social media hate nads. 
Yeah, so if we've got people who have been a bit more moral in the way that they've gone about their um, uh, their ways on social media, I guess, we've got um, a bunch of super fans and tinfoil hat wearers that um, sort of been the opposite, and they're not wanting to pay their bets. So I'm going to bring up two people. So Ray Perez, who is affectionately known as Dr. Death, and Zini Abraham. Well, let's start off with Zini. So Zini is an Oakland blogger and vlogger. It's on YouTube. You can find him there. You can find him on Twitter as well with all his spam bots. And he's someone who's misinformed many people regarding the stadium situation in Oakland for the last three to four years, maybe even a bit longer. Um, and at one point last year, he made a bet of 500 bucks with a respected radio host, uh, a respected radio host Ben Albright. So the bet was that Zini said there would be absolutely no chance of a Vegas stadium receiving NFL approval. If it went um, went through and got approved, he'd pay 500 to Ben. Ben took the bet. So the vote received approval, and Zini refused to pay up. So Ben, being the gentleman that he is, he actually went out of his way to donate $500 in Zini's name to a local charity. And even then, Zini still refused to pay up. So um, I look at it as Zini's actions were nothing short of pathetic and embarrassing. And quite frankly, he should be ashamed of himself, especially given um, his popularity and the way that people have found him to be quite a, a focal point in this whole issue. And it leads me to talk about Ray because... Ray, for the last four to five years, I followed him, and he was almost self-labeled as a super fan. He was a public vocal, almost a leader in a way on the whole stadium issue, getting something done in Oakland. And it might have not been by design, but it might have just simply been because he received the notoriety because he goes to games dressed as the hamburger, you know? So I initially personally found Ray to be an interesting viewpoint on the stadium because in Oakland, there wasn't really much media coverage on what they were doing in Oakland. Now we've found out it's more a case of there was no, no talk in Oakland because nothing was happening in Oakland. So um, he presented himself quite as, as a voice of someone in the know. And as it became more, more and more apparent that something wasn't going to get done in Oakland, Ray became more and more edgy more and more arrogant, more and more contrite in the way he presented himself on these periscopes. Um, and at one point, he even went on to say that he was 99% certain that a Vegas stadium wouldn't be approved by the NFL owners. And he said this one day before the vote. So that that gets that paints like a, a pretty good picture there for you. And he also made a bet with a fan on Twitter that was regarding the stadium. And it was... I don't know the exact details of the bet off the top of my head, but I remember that it was to do with receiving approval, Ray would have to pay up. So they received approval, and Ray has still refused to pay up. And instead, he he's gone out of his way on his periscope to try to change the parameters of the bet. And in the same breath of fresh air, he has gone – he's become the morality – police and he's chided the opposite half of the bet winner who, who simply wanted Ray to pay up. So the way he, he did this Ray's rant almost and he claimed that this fan in particular was inferior to his super fandom because this fan was from out of town, doesn't go to the games. Well, Ray, the majority of Raider fans aren't in Oakland. They're not in the Bay Area. There's there's thousands all around the world. There's millions in Europe, there's plenty down under in Australia. We get up for th at 3 in the morning to watch the game sometimes. Now, does that mean that my fandom's any less than yours? I pay $10,000, $12,000 a year to go to Oakland, watch a few games. Sometimes I fly across the country a few times to see them more than once. Does that mean that my fandom's not worthy as yours? You're not even a fan anymore, Ray. As radio host Damon Bruce eloquently said, just because you cook a, cook a chicken grill before the games where lots of people eat doesn't mean that your opinion's worthy any more than the fan next to you. To top it off, Ray finished his rant by saying the winner of the bet's actions were that of a female. 
So that's our super fan, ladies and gentlemen. Bet Dodger, Morality Police, and Misogynistic Arsehole. Jeez, you're calling him out, Nads. Uh, they're fighting I, I, words, I've been huh? I've been holding it holding it in for a while, and quite frankly, um, I've been holding this in for month, months on end. And I think that the way that Ray has gone about this has com- been completely wrong, and it's just about time someone called him out on it. Well, I look forward to seeing the inevitable Twitter feud that will follow. <laughs> but there's certainly some social media hate there, man. But nice wrap up of what's been going on. Let's move on now. Let's look at some of the NFL tidbits that have been happening in the last week. All right, Nad. So we want to get to the draft coverage that we've got coming out. We've got a few positions to get through, but let's let's talk about some of the stuff that's been going on around the league this week. There's been a few important tidbits, one of which is the NFL schedule, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start with Dan Rooney. Unfortunately, he passed away in the last week. Yeah, it's quite sad. Dan Rooney is one of the most iconic owners in in pro sports. So he was the he was the Pittsburgh Steelers owner, um, and I think his greatest legacy will be remembered for the way he interacted with people, and. Um, I think way you, the way that he'll be revered, I guess, around the league forever to come will be the fact that his name is on the Rooney Rule. And the Rooney Rule um, mandates a minority candidate to be interviewed for every head coaching vacancy. So the fact that he, he was someone who was very um, forthright in getting this done and um, – as a result, the NFL has broken down a number of racial barriers as a result, and it's opened up the doors for many, uh, many coaches to get opportunities that they perhaps wouldn't have in the past. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, the guy is just like the model of what you're looking for in an NFL owner. He's, you know, that, that constant stability. There's no unrest. There's no, you know, up and down confusion. Everybody's on the same page. He always had a, a really good message and you could sort of see just in the success that he's had as owner. He's in the he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, six-time Super Bowl champion. You can't really accomplish much more as an owner. So it was really sad to see him go, unfortunately. I just want to add one more little last tidbit regarding Rooney was that um, his rule really has given uh, Mike Tomlin the head coaching job in Pittsburgh because at the time yeah. Tomlin wasn't really considered uh, a likely head coaching candidate. And when he got interviewed, he pretty much blew blew the Pittsburgh staff absolutely away um, with his depth of knowledge and the way that he went about things. And as a result, they hired him. Um, I'm not even sure he would have got an interview had the Rooney Rule not been around. So he's led them to another couple Super Bowl, couple Super Bowl wins, and um, he's not going away anytime soon. No, and he did all of that while also starring in the TV show House. That he did. He was House's <laughs> sidekick. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, that was terrible. All right, let's move on. On that note, we've also got another passing of a NFL personality this week, Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, look, this is just a really sad story. Um, it not sad for what's happened. I think it's more sad of what might have been. Um, he had, being Hernandez, he had all the potential in the world. He yeah. could have, he could have been um, the greatest tight end of all time, and I don't say that lightly. I really think that he had more raw talent than Gronk, if that's possible. Um, I just remember what like, I remember watching him at Florida thinking this guy's a freak and just he he really translated it into the nfl and had he kept his head screwed on he would have he would be one of the greats there's no doubt about that but in the end he decided to take a life and now he's taken his own life and um as much as i want to say that the world's probably a better place without him i think it's still a shame that the god-given talent that he had um has been in a way it's just been thrown away in an instant it really is a sad story i mean for us mere mortals that don't have that sort of talent it does really irritate me to see it just thrown away i guess um 
Look, as a Colts fan, I hated seeing Patriots' success, but when him and Gronkowski were on the field at the same time, it was really quite entertaining to watch. So you could see the talent and the potential, as you said. It's really frustrating for me to see that thrown away. Um, Yeah, all I want to say is just, you know, suicide, it's it's never the answer. Um, It's one of those things that you know, the effect it has on the people around you in your life is just, you know, it's horrible seeing people go through that. Um, and all I'll say is that if people out there that are listening, you know, if you're, if you're battling a few demons and that sort of thing, there's always somebody there who's going to listen to you, who's going to help you out. You know, there's things like lifeline and that sort of stuff and suicide really should just never be an option. So if you need that help, it's out there, get that help. Don't be ashamed to say you need that help, but seeing stuff like this, it just, yeah, it, it, it hits a weird place with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll just add for anyone in Australia, um, who's, who's suffering, um, and wants someone to talk to and realize that they're not alone in this situation, Google beyondblue.com.au. They're, um, they're definitely the, the go-to on this. Give them a call. They have a 24-hour, um, seven-day-a-week hotline, and they'll be more than happy to help you because you're not alone in this. Yeah. All right, let's get on to something a little bit less morbid, Nads. Let's talk a little bit about the NFL schedule that's come out. Uh, this is this is the one day that I look at pretty much in six months of the off-season where I get really excited and it's not so much because who we're playing. It's usually a, ca- a case of finding out, okay, what games am I yeah. going to be going to for that year? <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, exactly right. One of my mates messaged me and he, um, Dylan, this is for Dylan in Brisbane. He he messaged me today um, a few days prior to the schedule and he, he was worried that he wasn't going to be able to see a game because he booked his America trip before the schedule came out. I mean, what rookie. a rookie mistake. Rookie of the highest order. Exactly. Like, Dylan, I don't, Dylan it, you're it's... carrying my pads for the rest of my life. <laughs> Such a rookie error. Oh. Like, I, don't, I don't care even if you went with his girlfriend. I mean, like, I've been <laughs> like, with my girlfriend plenty of times, and um, I've always made sure that we will book that trip not before the schedule has come out. Mate, priorities well and truly in order. Dylan's not so much. Yeah. Oh, completely agree there. All right. Let's talk a little bit about football. I want to say the biggest takeaway from the schedule for me is how good and how bad the AFC is at the same time. So for me, the biggest thing that interests me about the schedule is the strength of the schedule. So the teams that have the really easy draw and the teams that have the really hard draw. And that's calculated based on how the teams you play performed last year. And it's, it's basically you aggregate all of their wins, all of their losses and draws if they had any. Um, and then you sort it by who, who plays teams that had the most wins last season. So if we look at it this year, the top four teams with the hardest strength of schedule are all in the AFC West. So it's the, the Broncos are top, then the Chiefs, then the Chargers, then the Raiders. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, they have to play each of those teams twice. We saw how good they were last year. Plenty of wins there. Um, And so it kind of makes sense that they're going to be up the top. But then if we flip it and look at the bottom, the three teams with the easiest draws are all from the AFC South. So we got the Colts, the Titans, and the Jags. I just think it's really interesting to see that two divisions in the same conference, one can be really, really good, and one could be really, really bad at the same time. I just thought it was really intriguing. What was your take, Nads? Um, I'll just speak a quick quick little bit about the AFC West because it's they're going to be primetime galore this year. So the Chiefs have got six primetime games. Raiders have got five primetime games. So we are going to see an absolute boatload of AFC West football um, down here in Australia, be it, be it on 7 mate or be it on Foxtel. So I'm looking forward to it, though, because the AFC West teams are pretty good. Oh, for sure. They really are. And, and you could see it last year, you know. There's, there is no surprise about them being the top, the top four teams with the hardest schedule. There's no surprise about them getting primetime games because you want the best teams playing in primetime. Exactly. And I, I think the Thanksgiving game, I think it's New York against Washington, I think that's going to be an interesting game as well to watch. Um, 
I just want to say one more thing that I really dislike about this schedule. I know it's very difficult to put together such a schedule where there are literally trillions of um, possibilities um, in how they can put it together. But you've got you've got three times this year during the season where both Los Angeles teams are going to be playing at home in Los Angeles at the same time. So it, it just boggles the mind because you've got this new market, in essence, where you're trying to establish two fan bases and you're trying to get as many people to the games as you can. And then what you're doing is you're pretty much cutting a knife in between the two and saying, okay, um, you're competing against each other. It's just, if you want to build a fan base and a, build a market up, this is not how you go about doing it. No, it does seem a little bit bizarre. I mean, the thing that gets me is it's not like the NFL have, no, have had no practice with this. You've got the two teams in New York that have been playing in the same city. Like, it's this isn't new to them. But you look at, you know, taking an AFL example, so Australian football, in Adelaide, we've got Port Adelaide and Adelaide. And they're always scheduled so that only one of them has a home game each weekend. They never play... Not at the same time or the same day, but in the same round, they never play both at home. And I think that's the best way to do it. You don't get that overlap, and it's it's not that hard to schedule it like that. No, it's not not hard at all. It really, it, it shouldn't have been even an issue. It's something that they should have um, really eliminated when they were going through their um, certainties on how they had to put the schedule together. But look, the the way that the whole um, football in Los Angeles, the way it's been returned, um, it's been a debacle, a debacle since day one. So I'm really not surprised when you look at it from that perspective, at least, that this is the way it's gone down. Yeah, for sure. Dunk, mate, we've got some breaking news here. It's great news for Beast Mode and for the Raider Nation in general. So Marshawn Lynch, as reported by Mike Garofolo and Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Beast Mode's going to become a member of the Oakland Raiders by the end of um, Wednesday US time. So um, in the article, it quotes that Lynch's representatives and the and the Raiders have agreed to terms on a one-year deal, and um, the Raiders and the Seahawks have um, hashed out the details of a trade that will send Lynch's rights to the Raiders. So um, apparently the compensation is going to be a swap of late-round picks in the 2018 draft. And apparently, um, according to sources, Lynch's contract is going to be a one-year deal with $3 million base, and he's going to have a chance to make a, an additional $2 million if he gets an extra 1,000 yards. Um, the max value of the contract with all your other incentives, workout bonuses and whatnot could be up to $8.5 million. So um, it's quite a hefty contract. I'm not sure that um, it's probably definitely, let's say, over market value. But, I mean, um, it's beast mode. It's Oakland. It's a match made that should have probably happened 10 years ago. So I'm sure that Raider Nation are going to be pretty happy right now. Well, I'm about to upset Raider Nation by saying this is completely irrelevant breaking news. I just... Running backs over 30, man, they're no good. Marshawn Lynch is 31 now. He hasn't been on a field in over a year, close to a year and a half now. It just... It doesn't make any sense to me. I get the match of, you know, he's from Oakland. He he fits into the mold of what you want from a Raider. But at this point in his career, he's, he's past it. I see no value in this whatsoever. And on that note, the other the other situation that I see no value in is Adrian Peterson going to the Saints. I feel like he's going to offer the Saints less than Mark Ingram at this point. He's over 30 as well. He can't stay healthy. He has to be the focal point of the offense to do anything. We saw that in Minnesota. He's not going to be that in New Orleans. He's got Drew Brees there. I just can't see that really being successful either. And on top of that, the amount of talent that's in this draft class at running back, mate, they're a dime a dozen. You can get a guy in the fourth round who is faster, stronger, better runner. Like, what? what is the point in picking up these past it running backs that have had 10 years of work into their body? I just don't get it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a wait and see. I think with Lynch, it might actually be a case of, look, it might be more publicity um, than anything else. But, I mean, it's beast mode. I'll... 
I'm going to hedge my bets at this point. I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out. All right. Well, we'll have to leave that one there, I guess. Let's 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 move on to some actual draft prospects. Let's dive into this, mate. Where do you want to start? We're doing offense today, so we've got wide receivers, offensive linemen, and tight ends. Where do you want to begin? All right. Let's go with the big uglies up front to the offensive line. All righty. So look. There's not a great deal of, of top-end talent in this draft It's class. terrible. Let's it's, not kid ourselves. Yeah, it's like it's, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. So what I've tried to do with this, rather than go position by position, I've just done my top five offensive line prospects regardless of what position they played. Because if we're diving into top five series position, not only would we be here forever, but it would be, you know... We're talking about guys that are fourth-round talents that are number five and so on. So. Exactly. We don't want to bore you listeners out. So no. let, let, let's get to it. So number one, who have you got? All right, we're starting at the top, are we? Okay. I oh, might as well, might as well, because um, it, it only really do, it doesn't get any better from there. No. Fair enough. All right, so number one, I've got Forrest Lamp out of Western Kentucky. Now, he played both tackle and guard, and he excelled at both in college, but I think he's going to translate inside to guard. He's he has to be a guard. Yeah, he has to be a guard. There's no doubt about he that. He doesn't have the length to play tackle in the NFL. He's six foot four, 309 pounds. We don't really care about any of his 40 time or anything like that. <laughs> the, thing I love is, the things I love about him, he carries his weight really well in his frame, and he's a guy... I have, I have a lot of time for people who are technically very good at what they do. They've put a lot of time and effort into learning their craft, and he's one of them. You're not going to see a more technically sound lineman. He's got really quick feet, and he's great at getting out of his stance, but he also maintains his balance and is very patient. So he doesn't let himself overextend, which you can often see as a problem. Uh, and the, and the, the thing that almost sold him for me, I guess, was his game against Alabama up against that front seven. You know, you're talking guys like Tim Williams, Jonathan Allen, Ruben Foster, so on. He showed up big time. And I think that was where I sort of went, okay, this guy's this guy's the real deal. He's strong, he's consistent, and he's very, very intelligent in how he plays. So can't speak highly enough of him. Um, in terms of, you know, negatives, everybody's got a few negatives. He can't really add too much more size to his frame. I know I said I carries he carries his weight well, but he can't carry much more. Um, the lack of, of that length and that real, you know, six, six height is going to mean that he's going to have to play guard, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a, it's a bit of a red flag for some, uh, NFL executives. A couple of other knocks there's, there's a bit of doubt as to whether or not he, he lacks the real power to play NFL standard, um, and he's going to have to work a little bit at how he uses his hands when he's playing against NFL linemen, has to keep them ready and shoot them tighter. But overall, I, I think he's far and away the best the best lineman in the class. All right, yeah, you've summed it up really well. Look, let, let's not um, go go too in-depth here because, I mean, like, it's pretty hard for um, us to differentiate um, in between every lineman. So we've got Garrett Bowles at number two. So yeah. he, he's a tackle out of Utah. So um, he's he's under 300 pounds. He's only, he only weighs in at 297. So I think you're looking at more of a zone, a zone blocker guy here. Um, he's pretty quick, though. Um, I, think he's, he, I think he's very raw. You know, he was only a starter for a year. Exactly. Um, so I think he's going to take a lot of coaching to, to, to improve to an NFL standard, but the potential is there. Um, he's got great quickness, as you said, getting in and out of his stance and a really natural bend to him. I love his awareness, but I also love, you know how much I like character and guys in particular positions. He's got that nastiness and that tenacious that you, tenaciousness that you really need when you're getting in dirty in the trenches down there. So I love that side of his game. Um, Look, as I said, he's going to take a bit of coaching. He, his pad level gets a bit too high at times. Sometimes his hands get caught outside his frame, um, which, which really lowers his overall strength. And I, I just think he will really benefit from having, you know, a year or two with an NFL strength and conditioning program to really get his, his body up to the right that right size. No, for sure. Look, let's move on to number three. So apologies if I haven't pronounced it correctly, but Ryan Ramchick. Um, nice he's the, 
Yeah, redshirt junior out of Wisconsin. So tell us a bit about him. Mate, so he's got ideal size. So he's the sort of size you're looking for. He's 6'6", 310 pounds. Um, and again, he's got that real easy bend to him, which is what you're looking for. Um, he's very good in, in terms of a, awareness and picking up you know, twists and stunts and that sort of thing. Um, he's quite good at resetting his hands when he gets power rushes coming out of him. Uh, and he's he's got a good get off in the run game when he you know when he's gonna get up and make that block he's quite good at it. Um, from a mental side of things, very smart guy. No concerns with him operating in an NFL system. Um, he's just a real smooth mover, which I really quite like. And again, much like Forrest Lamp, he's got good technique and fundamentals. Um, look. He's had a few injury concerns. He missed the combine with a torn labrum in his hip, and he's had surgery on that. So there's a little bit of a red flag there. Um, he has a tendency to play upright a little bit too much at times. And you can sort of see, you know, leverage is one of the most important things when you're playing on the line. So if you're getting upright too quickly, you lose all your leverage. Um, and he also tends to struggle a little bit against guys coming off the edge that have quite a lot of length to them. No, look, you, you've summed it up good there. Um, I, I think it's really going to come down to the medical with him. So, uh, but you, you'd hope for his sake, fingers crossed. But um, let, let's go on to um, number four. He's widely regarded as the top um, offensive lineman This free, um, that's not Forrest Lamb. He's regarded as the number one offensive tackle. Um, I guess you've thought differently. He's the Alabama junior, Cam Robinson. Yeah, another guy that's got ideal size, 6'6", 322, so a little bit heavier than Ramchick. Look, he's a, he is a monster in the running game. He is a great run blocker, no doubts about it. Um, you know, he generates a lot of power at the point of attack. He's got an outstanding rush, um, and he works well comboing from block to block. Really good footwork to get to the second level. The thing that lets him down for me is his pass rushing. Now, look, he held up okay when he played against Texas A&M and Miles Garrett, but technique, uh, his pass pro isn't quite there. He tends to overbalance a little bit. Um, he, he, he struggles against guys that have real high motors, lots of movement, lots of energy. Um, and the thing that I notice when you're watching film, he spends way too much time on the ground for a tackle, right? You don't want your tackles on the ground. He spends a lot of it. Um, you know, the other thing, his instincts, I've got a few question marks about them and that's not something you can really coach. Um, and he kind of, you know, we talked about with guys like Forrest Lamp and, and Bowles where they have that natural bend uh, that Robinson doesn't really have he tends to lean a lot more and he can get caught on the balls of his feet so if you if you're drafting purely as a run blocker he's number one if you're drafting as an overall lineman i've got him at four yeah fair enough no um yeah you really got it got it good there look let's talk about a, a center here um, i figure there has to be one on the list yeah exactly i mean i, I don't think he's going to be going high but but we have to mention one center. So we've got the the Buckeye. Yep. Tell me about him. Pat Elfline. He's a senior out of Ohio State. Look, he's 6'3", 303 pounds. Uh, I've talked a lot in these draft previews about character, and this guy epitomizes everything you're looking for. His work ethic is just absolutely phenomenal. He's a true team captain and leader. You can't hear guys out of Ohio State talking high enough about this dude's character. So that's a big plus for me. Um He's quite smart, and he and he he runs that offensive line out of Ohio State. Um, he's got the versatility to play a guard as well if you don't need him to snap the ball. Um, he's got a wrestling background, which I thought was interesting. So that gives him a lot of strength inside against those big bodies in the trenches. Um, he's got strong hands, and he's got a really good anchor against guys with a bull rush, which you see a lot of, um, particularly inside more so than outside. Um, and he's a very patient guy, you know, which is an important trait to have, particularly when you do have that mental, you know, that mental side to your game where you're sound in your, in your technique and your fundamentals and you understand the position. If you've got that patience to go with it, you always end up in the right position, doing the right thing. You're always under control, which is a really big plus. Look, 
his feet are just average in terms of his speed and and his technique and his footwork, um, which kind of lets him down a little bit. And he has a tendency to struggle to get off the initial block and pick up delayed blitzes, which is obviously something, you know, you're going to see a lot more complex um, blitz schemes in the pros than you do in college. So that's something to be aware of. Um, and he sometimes has a tendency to anchor himself too quickly and too early, which... You know, it helps when he's up against a straight bull rush, but if there's something a little bit more going on, he tends to struggle a little bit because he's he's anchored himself too early. No, exactly. Like, you, 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 I've got nothing to add. You, you've really hit the mark well. So I'll, th- I'll um, throw out another couple of names just to keep an eye on that you might see go in the draft. For so sure. In terms of centers, you're looking at Ethan Pochich out of LSU. For tackles, you're talking Taylor Moten, I think is how you pronounce it. And at guards, you've got Isaac Asiata and Nico Ziragusa. Just a few other names that you might see go. Oh, for sure. Look, let's move on to a few more. Sp- um, uh, we're going to go a little a little um, further outside. So we're not going to go quite out to the wideouts yet. But let's, let's talk about the tight ends. Yep. So... Uh, they're almost your pseudo tight ends, these uh, pseudo wide receivers these days, anyway. Given the this class, mate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Evan Engram, but I think when you look at someone like him, he's pretty much just like Calvin Johnson, who can is on in line an in line blocker, Brandon Marshall type. But yeah, look, um, let's start at number five this time. So, who have you got there? Number five, I've got Gerald Everett. He's a senior out of South Alabama. Um, I just want to say, first of all, this draft class for tight end is very, very deep, particularly in top end talent. Um, so all of these guys are going to be studs. Um, but yeah, Gerald Everett, six foot three, two hundred thirty nine pounds, runs a four six two forty. Um, he's a really natural pass catcher and an excellent athlete. He's got a lot of potential in um, yards after the catch. Um, really good hands, really strong hands. Um, and he's really good at maintaining his speed in and out of cuts and when he's you know changing on direction on routes, which I think for a bigger dude to do is, is quite impressive. Um, he's got really good balance, which means he's able to break through arm tackles quite quickly and quite effectively, and he has no fear operating in the middle of the field despite knowing all those big linebackers are flying around and you never really know what's going on. He has no concerns whatsoever. Uh, in terms of cons, we're looking at, you know, he's, he's only average size at 6'3", 239, not ideal. Um, and there are question marks as to whether or not mentally he can handle a full NFL play playbook. Excuse me. Uh, and you look at his route running, it's really not something he's paid a lot of attention to. You can only describe it as average at best. So something he's definitely going to have to work on if he moves up to the next level. No, for sure. Look, let's move on to number four, and we've got an absolute big unit here. So, oh, is he ever? At Adam Shaheen, yeah, redshirt junior. At Ashland, look, small school, small school guy. Excuse me, but he is not a small dude. He is a big, big dude. He's six foot six, two hundred and seventy-eight pounds. Man, that's a four, bad, bad man. Yeah, that's a big dude. Uh, four seven nine forty, but he's flying. Got a, yeah, he's got a basketball background, so he's got that great footwork and really good feet uh, speed for his size. Um, it's just insane the combination that this guy offers. Um, he was moved all over the field at, at Ashland, so plenty of experience there. Really good at tracking the ball in the air and has great hand-eye coordination. Um, he's also trusted to pass protect, which is a, a really good sign if you're a... Uh, you know, <laughs> Talking about a tight end that can catch the ball like he can as well. Um, he's, he's a really high upside guy. I feel like he's a little bit raw, but he's got a lot of potential if he gets harnessed in the right system. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of a concern about the quality of the opposition he played coming from a small school. Um, and he struggles a little bit to get away at the line of scrimmage. He gets knocked off his timing a little bit when he's up against press. Um, and there are question marks over his technique, particularly as a run blocker. So there are still some concerns. He's a bit raw, but, mate, the upside is insane. Oh, the potential is huge. Um, 
you, you look at it, and given his basketball background, you get him in the slot on a, a linebacker or a slot corner who's undersized, and the idea of him boxing out like on a on a back shoulder, um, it, it, there's so much um, potential there. Well, here's it's, the thing: who's covering him? At six foot six, two hundred and eighty pounds, running a four eight forty. Who's covering him? Is well, a matchup nightmare. It's certainly not me. I'm five no. nine, about well, oh, geez, Mate, yeah, no one eighty. No, no chance. chance. <laughs> All right, yes. let's move on. Number three, we talked about him earlier. Evan Ingram is a senior out, senior out of Ole Miss. Uh, six foot three, two hundred thirty four pounds. This guy is a pseudo wide receiver. He runs a four four two forty as a tight end. His quickness and his explosiveness is just insane. He's a very fluid route runner. He has a tendency, you know, kind of Odell Beckham-ish type spectacular catches, um, which is interesting because generally his hands are kind of just okay. They're not outstanding. But when he has to make that spectacular one-handed catch, he's the guy that's going to do it. Um, he's excellent in and out of his cuts and at the top of his routes. We talk about matchups. Linebackers have no chance covering this guy. None at all. In terms of negatives, look, he struggles a bit in the run game. He's very, very raw, weak at the point of attack, falls off the defenders after contact. He's not going to offer you much in terms of blocking. Um, he's not great at boxing out, which, you know, you want your big tight end occupying that space, having the ball put somewhere in his frame, and he's just going to stop everybody from getting it. Evan Ingram's not great at that. Um, and he allows defenders to work through him and disrupt the catch before it happens a few too many times. And a couple of concerns about drops. As I said, he's great at those spectacular one-handed grabs, but generally speaking, not the best. Now, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, I think a great fit, you talk about Odell Beckham, I think he'd be a great fit in New York with the Giants, give some, um, Eli Manning another weapon to throw to. Yep. Um, well, let's let's go to number two. So we've got a redshirt sophomore out of Miami, David Njoku. Yeah, and him and then the guy that's number one that will surprise nobody. These two are elite talents, and they I would be surprised if they both don't go in the first round. Um, so David number Njoku, one, uh, let, let, number one could go top ten. Yeah, that's, I could. Right. Mate, I could see him going top five if you love him enough. But we'll yeah. get to him in a minute. Uh, yeah, David Njoku, 6'4", 246 pounds, 4'6", 4'40", with a 37.5-inch vertical, Nads. He was, he's just an elite athlete. He was a national boys high jump champion in, uh, in high school. He's explosive. You talk about the guy that you just want to throw the ball up and say, go get it. He's the guy. He's like your you dream as a quarterback. You're just like, yep, I've got a guy on the outside. I can throw it about 10 feet above him, and he's still going to go up and get it. It's just a dream for a quarterback. But he's got the versatility to play outside, in the slot, and in line, which is what you love if you're an offensive coordinator. And his agility is insane for his size as well. Um, but he's still growing into his body a little bit. Probably needs to put on a little bit more weight but he does have the room to be able to do that. So with an NFL strength and conditioning program, he'll be fine. Um, he's a little bit raw and he's a little bit inconsistent. He had, uh, over his last two seasons, he dropped 11% of, of the balls that came at him. Jeez, that's um, a fair bit. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Um, but he'll, he'll get better than that with some coaching and, and in an NFL system. And the other thing is that he relies a little bit more on his speed rather than route work to get open. Um, so he's going to need to work on that as well at the next level. Yeah, look, they know how to produce him at Miami at the U there. So um, my only question with um, Njoku is, does he have enough experience? I mean, he's only a red shirt, a red shirt sophomore, so he doesn't have too much um, game time. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see him go another year, but he's definitely um, coming into the league when his his stock is at its highest. So he's oh. going to be a first round talent and phenomenal um, upside. Yeah, wherever he goes, I'm sure that they'll be they'll have a package for him. Without question. So it leads us to number one, and there's absolutely no no question who this guy is. And we talk about um, inexperience with Njoku and. Um, the number one that we've got on this list, he, he could have gone out last year and he probably would have been 
uh, maybe a late first rounder, but um, his senior year, it's, it's skyrocketed him into, yeah, like you said, dunk, top five contention, even if you love him enough. So um, the Crimson Tide, Alabama, um, tight end OJ Howard. Absolute monster, Nads. This is the most polished tight end prospect I've seen. Just phenomenal. He's six foot six, 250 pounds, and still runs a 4540. That's insane. It's just this perfect combination of size, size, speed, and power. It's just ridiculous, the athletic talent that this guy has. He's got great hands and really long arms that make a huge catching radius for quarterbacks to throw at. With his size and his power, he's a great blocking tight end. He's got great toughness over the middle of the field. But for a guy his size, he's almost like a ballerina. He's so agile and light on his feet. He can change direction really well. It's just a really, really polished package. The only knock I have on him is his character. There are a lot of question marks as to whether he really loves football. And when you talk about guys at the elite level, the best of the best are the guys that love what they do. And I don't think OJ Howard is one of those guys. So when he makes the step up, I'm I'm not going to be surprised if he plateaus out a little bit because um, he really doesn't seem to have that passion um, and sometimes doesn't seem to have that competitive edge, that real swagger that you usually see in guys that have his level of talent. But really, we're nitpicking at this point. This guy's going to be a monster. Yeah, I think one one uh, crucial maybe, uh, I'd put a little bit of a red flag, is that we're almost um, looking at his potential um, in terms of where we're projecting him because Lane Kiffin, who was Bama's OC last year, um, even came out and said, look, we didn't really scheme much to get Howard involved in the game plans much. And it was only when they did that we really saw him shine. So a lot of it is a projection, but at the same time, the the entire draft is a bit of a projection. So he's going to be the number one tight end. There's no doubt about that. He's I'll be surprised if he's not in the top 10. Yeah. Let's go a little bit further out now on the line. So we've got our wide receivers. Um, there's a little bit of talent this year. I think there's a few guys that um, definitely are going to go in the first round, probably two or three at the very least. Um, let's let's start at number five, though. Who have you got there? Yeah, I think you're spot on there. There's a lot of talent in this wide receiver class, particularly top-end talent, and also throughout the middle to late rounds. If you need a wide receiver, you're pretty much going to be able to get one at any point in this draft. So... In terms of my top five, you're talking number five, Zay Jones. So he's six foot two, 201 pounds. Um, this guy has a lot of NFL pedigree. His, his father, Robert, won three Super Bowls with the Cowboys as a linebacker. So he's got that background. His dad knows what, it, what you need to do to win in the NFL. Um, and he's, by all accounts, it's transferred through to Zay. Um, Another guy that's got great character. I, I know how much I've harped on about this throughout this process, but you really can't put a price on character. Um, he's very focused, very driven, very competitive, everything you want in a wide receiver. He's got fantastic hands, no concerns operating in traffic, and he's very, very good at going up and getting the ball at the high point, really finishing it at the top. Uh, he's got good footwork and the versatility to play outside or in the slot, depending on what you want him to do. Uh, in terms of negatives, he doesn't really have that top-end vertical speed because he plays a little bit slower. Um, so he really you know, doesn't get that separation when he's running the deep routes. Um, and he struggles a little bit against press because his footwork and his strength aren't quite there. Um, and in college, you know, a lot of his success seemed to come from a lot of short throws, high percentage throws, lots of screens and that sort of stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see as production goes at the next level. For sure. Let's move on to someone who I'm very familiar with. So he's out of SoCal, um, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, he's only on this list because I love his name. Uh, <laughs> nah. Come on, man. Nah, he, Come on, man. He's a baller, this guy. He's another alpha dude, a huge competitor. competitor. He's got that swagger that you want to see in your wide receivers um, to match up with the divas that play against them. Um, look, he's got great size. He's 6'1", 215 pounds. 
He runs a 4-5-4-40. He's much more of a possession type guy than a speed threat. Um, but he's got all of the things you're looking for in a possession receiver. He's got great awareness at, at being able to prevent ball hawks from coming across and breaking on the ball. Uh, he's good at finding the sweet spot in the zone when he just has to sit in, in the open space. He's great at making contested catches and locating the ball in the air. And he's got really good vision after he makes the catch, plenty of potential for yards afterwards. Um, look, I have my concerns about Trojan wide receivers. We've talked on it in the past that uh, not been a lot in recent years that have done anything, let alone you know really well. Um, so have my doubts there, but he might be one to buck the trend. Uh, he occasionally struggles to get separation at break points on his routes because he's, he's not quite there in terms of you know really precise route running. Um, he doesn't have that second gear to really break away at the t- at the top end. Um, and you know he sometimes needs to work on his angles a little bit when he's blocking. Uh, and the other question mark, which you know, it's one of those tough ones, but a lot of his production, I think it was eight of his 10 tight ends, sorry, tight ends, eight of his 10 touchdowns came in three games. So, you know, there's a little bit of a concern. Is he a bit of a flat track bully? Does he go well against the weaker teams Um, rather than, you know, more consistent production over a season? It's a bit of a question mark for me. All right, let's move on to number three. And, uh, Mate, how's this guy? If you're after a speed receiver, look no further. John Ross out of Washington. Look, 5'11", 188 pounds. So nothing spectacular there. But then you look at his 40 time and he sets the combine record with a 4.2240. Just hashtag, ridiculous. Slot, hashtag slot receiver. Yeah, just insane speed. You want a guy to take the top off, this is your guy. Um, the thing is, though... His speed just demands respect from the corners that he plays against. They have to open their hips early to be able to turn and go with him if they're if he's running a deep route. And the the product of that is that it makes a lot of easy curls, digs, comebacks, those sort of routes where once the corner opens his hips, if John Ross isn't running a deep route, it's basically a free completion. Um, couple is speed. He's also got uh really elite foot speed in terms of quickness agility that sort of thing he's got decent hands and he's natural at tracking tracking the ball in the air coupled with really good hand-eye coordination um it's just it's it's a good slot receiver product he has all of the things you're looking for for a slot guy and he offers a little bit on special teams too a few receiving uh sorry returning touchdowns as well uh, in terms of negatives, obviously he's undersized at 5'11", 188 pounds, and he lacks strength. So he's not going to offer you much as a blocker. Um, he struggles against physical corners if he doesn't get the release. Obviously with his size, he's not going to be able to make up for it. Um, and he struggles a little bit to make catches in traffic and, and 50-50 balls. That's my only knock on him as a slot guy. Like You're operating in the middle of the field a lot as a slot with where all the traffic is. So... You know, that's not a strength of his game, so it is a little bit of a red flag, but it's something he can work on for sure. And there's not a lot of consistency between his short to medium routes and his long routes. Obviously, his deep balls, um, his deep routes are phenomenal with his speed, but he doesn't quite have the same polish on his short and medium routes. No, um, look, it's going to be... Interesting to see how he goes because he is such a speed freak. Um, I, I don't really know what really to add add to it. I, I think he he's someone that you probably could look as maybe a little bit of a Brandon Cooks type. Our Davis would have traded up to get him. I tell you that much, mate. I was actually going to say the same thing, but <laughs> no, we definitely know that mm. much. Our Davis loved his speed. Actually, who do you reckon would win? A uh, hundred yard dash between Darius Haywood Bay and uh, John Ross. Now, uh, now that would be. I think, I think it has a track to be John Ross. Half. Oh, it would be a track meet, but I think John Ross has got him. Just. Yeah, it wouldn't be by much. Nah, but he's got him. I think. No, nah, Al, Al Davis would be smiling up there. That's for sure. <laughs> All 
All right, let's move on. Number two, I've got Mike Williams out of Clemson. Deshaun Watson's number one guy. He's six foot four, two hundred and eighteen pounds. This dude is the prototype build for a receiver. He's tall. He's got long arms. He's got big hands and plenty of weight. Um, he's very much a possession type guy, though. Um, really good in 50-50s, obviously, with his size. He uses that to his advantage. He's great at tracking the ball in the air. And he's got the body co- body control to be able to rescue plenty of bad throws, which we saw a bit of from Deshaun at Clemson. So he got plenty of practice at rescuing bad throws. Um, he's got no concerns about operating in the middle of the field with all the traffic. Um, and he's got the frame and the strength to operate as a blocker in the run game. Um couple of drop issues in college, which a lot of people, a lot of scouts think comes down to his focus and his concentration not quite being there. Um, and he had a tendency to rely a little bit too much on his physical traits in college, which won't work as well in the pros, obviously. Um, and the other big knock, he's got an injury concern. He missed the entirety of the 2015 season through injury to his neck, I think it was. Um so that's a bit of a flag, but overall, very polished prospect. Definitely a first round talent. No, it could could even be a top ten pick. I mean, you look at um, number one on this list, and it really is a case of one and one A. Yeah. Um, in terms of how you rank them, you're probably going to have um quite a few. Uh, look, they're definitely one and two on the list, but um, a lot of people would um happy to switch the positions for them. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, you look at Williams, for a large point of last season, I mean, going into the national championship game, he was regarded as the guy, and it's really only only once we sat back and actually took a breather, started watching a bit more um, individual tape of the smaller schools that we really started to pick up on this number one guy, so... Corey Davis is out of Western Michigan, and he's also got that prototypical size. So he's 6'3", 209. Um, I'll let you break it down. Yeah, look, I have no problem if you've got Mike Williams ahead of Corey Davis. I'm very much in the camp of 1 and 1A. It's kind of more what are you looking for in your guy. So, again, for me, it comes back to character, and Corey Davis is an alpha, and you just you need alphas on your team. He's a competitor to the of the highest order, just an ultimate alpha dog. Um, four years of really, really great production. Um, he really improved his route running in 2016 as well, which was a big tick for me. Um, really good at going up at the highest point, locating the ball and catching it. Great at tracking it in the air. Wins a lot of 50-50 balls. And he's great running verticals as well. Um, look, in terms of question marks... He didn't face a lot of press coverage in college, so I'm not sure he's gonna how how he's gonna hold up to that. But he does have the size, so he should be okay. Um, he had a few drop issues. He dropped 16 balls in his three years of in the last three years of college, um, and he could potentially do a little bit more do with a little bit more quickness in and out of his cuts, particularly on the underneath routes to really get that separation. Um, and the other thing that interested me for a guy who's 6'3", 210 pounds, he didn't get asked to block a whole lot. So it would be interesting to see how he goes with that in the NFL. But again, he's got the size, so he should be okay. Yeah, um, I, I don't doubt. He'll be able to get a hat on a hat. Um, wide receivers, look, um, they don't need to be the, the most elite of blockers, but it's certainly with someone his size, you'd certainly expect him to be able to manhandle some of the smaller corners in the league um, to get to get the running backs out on the crack tosses and whatnot. So, look, that, that sums up our draft. So we finally got there. It's taken a while. We have. Yeah, we got there just in time as well. Exactly. Yeah, barely 24 hours to go until the until the 2017 NFL draft, and I just want to get a, a few predictions from yourself. So, look, let's not go too deep into this, but look, do you have any um, interesting um, little maybe bold predictions that you might have for especially day one and two of the draft? Day one and two of the draft. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit more on day one. Here's a thing for you. I am. I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet this earlier today, and it's something that I think there's a lot of merit to it. There will only be one quarterback go in the top 15 picks, but there will be four go in the first round. 
Jeez, now that's that's a big prediction because I was actually going to say I reckon there's probably going to be three quarterbacks picked in the top twelve. No, I'm going the other way, mate. All right. No, one of us will be right. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Uh, I think it's the right decision. We've talked about this all along. There's not a lot of talent in this quarterback class. So if you've got a top 10 pick, I think you're waiting a year or waiting a round or two if you want your quarterback. No, my my bold prediction was going to be the Sean Watson gets drafted by Jacksonville at pick number four. Oh, big call. Yeah, so I know that... that, um, the the Jags staff I know that they like him quite a lot so he's a Florida guy um, I definitely can see them moving on from Blake Bortles we know that Bortles isn't going to be the answer at this point um, so yeah that that that's my number one bold prediction um, I, I'll say that in terms of the Browns because they've got picks one and twelve I'll be shocked if they don't use pick twelve to trade up. Uh, Mike Silver has today reported that they've contacted, they being the Browns, I think four teams in the top eight. Yeah. Um, so um, they'll take Garrett at number one. That's pretty obvious at the moment, um, even though they like Trubisky and they're going to try to trade up for Trubisky. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that market goes because, I mean, in a, le- in a year where there's, there's a lot of depth at quite a few positions, um, I certainly think that the 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 better teams are gonna certainly hope that the quarterback market um, does eventuate early because it's gonna mean that you're gonna have some uh, very good push down. Exactly, you're gonna see them slip. And um, when you look at it like that, um, it really shows why um, the best teams in the league are the best because they're getting the best talent whilst you've got the teams who need a quarterback, they're mm-hmm. overdrafting quarterbacks who really shouldn't be drafted where they are. Yep. And then we just get into this vicious cycle where it goes over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Totally and, agree. Yeah, so uh, I don't really have too many other big ones. I think Jabril Peppers will be an interesting one. I don't think he's going to be drafted in the first round with his diluted sample. And yep. I think... I think Ruben Foster is someone who could potentially slide as well. He, oh, he also... Slide to 15. Please <laughs> slide to 15. God, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually slides further than that. So um, it, I think that Foster could even potentially be someone who doesn't doesn't get picked on day one. I'm no, just, he that... won't go that far. No well, I, given, given the number of character concerns that he's had, uh, I certainly... I can see GMs umming and ahhing about him. So, look, on the field, he's a probably, I'd go as far to say he could even be like the number two pick in the draft. Well, while we're on that topic, I was just going to say, I've now that I've you know gone through every player, we've previewed every position, my top five has substantially changed from where it started at the start of this process. So... With that in mind, Ruben Foster is my number two guy. He's my number two overall talent in the whole draft, and I think it would be a crime, even with the character issues, it would be a crime to see him slip out of the first round. I don't think that's happening. I can't see him going past the Colts at 15. I can't see him making it to the Colts at 15. But in terms of top five, and I'd be interested to hear yours, I've changed mine a lot. Miles Garrett's number five now for me, which is going to surprise a lot of people, I'm sure. Um... But ahead of him, I've got uh, Marshawn Lattimore is at four. I've got Malik Hooker at three. I think he's an, a wonderful cover three guy. Uh, two, obviously, Ruben Foster. And number one, Jamal Adams. I've been high on him for a long, long time now. I think he's a monster and he's going to be elite. Yeah, that's a big call. I mean, I, okay, so if I was going to do my top five, I'd probably well, I'd have Garrett in there. I'd have Ruben Foster in there. Um, Jonathan Allen would be there, uh, probably Marshawn Lattimore, and then uh, who's the one? Jamal Adams. Is that five? Yeah, that's five. Yeah, so that's in no particular order. If I had to order them, I'd probably have, um, or well, I'd have Garrett as number. Look, Garrett is my number one, but he's only it's only on potential. I think actually Foster's a better player, so. I would argue that Ruben Foster would be my number one on field. Um, then you'd 
Well, okay, I'd, I'd it's tough, have, mate. It's yeah, really, really you're, tough. you're splitting hairs. Yeah. I, I, okay, Lattimore, I'd have as number two. Um, Garrett would probably be four behind um, Jamal Adams. Yeah. And then who's the guy? Oh, Jonathan Allen would be number five. Yeah. I really yeah. like Jonathan Allen. So do I. I think he's going to be very good. Um, and I just want to give a massive shout out. I really, really hope that um, Solomon Thomas um, gets drafted to a to a good team. Um, Aussie, uh, exactly the honorary Aussie of the draft. Um, we're we're going to be shouting out for you, Solomon, and um, maybe even one day you can come on the um, the podcast. That'd that be, be something. That would be something. Might have to contact his agent. <laughs> Look, Duncan's got a little bit, um, a little bit shy this week. We're not doing a slam. I think he's just a little bit overawed by the the hate that I gave in my social media plug. But yeah, mate, you're stealing my segment. This is two weeks in a row now. I'm gonna have to really. I'm sure the draft is gonna throw up something that really, really annoys me, and I'll have one back for the next show. So don't worry, guys. It's coming back. Oh no, I'm I'm getting ready for a shack kind of slam from you next <laughs> week. Um, in the meantime, guys, um, really take care. In the meantime, so make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Um, we're at any given M O N P O D. Also, like us on Facebook. So we're on there at any given Monday Pod. Uh, you can also catch Nads and I on Twitter. So you can catch Nads at H B Nadoni N A D O L N Y, and you can catch me at D Song S O A N G. Be sure to follow us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Last Word, on Pro Sports Radio, on their Podbean account. Wherever you guys listen to us, be sure to leave us a like, a rating, uh, and some feedback on what you thought. I just want to say lastly, make sure that you're following our Twitter account come draft day because we're going to be live tweeting that. So that we're going to have um, some incredible hot takes right off the bat. Um, it's going to be in real time. You're not going to have to wait for the show to come out next week. Um, it's going to be definitely one to um, to to watch because we're going to be able to interact with you guys as well. You'll be able to use the hashtag AskNads. You can even use the hashtag AskDunk for the for their interaction <laughs> I'll there. Steal so, your but, segment yeah, back. you can steal my segment, mate. Uh, I don't mind that. I'm a sharing kind of guy. So, look. In the meantime, guys, keep fighting for those inches. Enjoy the draft. Take care. Catch up! He's 40! Oh, he's in the man 35! Look at him go!